Episode 126, Garbage In, Garbage Out, Cleaning Up Dirty Data. Today I speak with Eric Rossau from Diameter Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Whoever would have predicted that healthcare analytics would become sexy? Well, maybe not sexy, but at least a topic that everybody loves to talk about. Predictive analytics, prescriptive analytics, efficacy outcomes, value assessments. But here's the thing. Every analysis is desperately dependent on one very ponderous gorilla in the room, the quality and accuracy of the data. No good data, no good analytics. End of story. Today, I speak with Eric Rossau, the CEO of Diameter Health, a startup working hard to clean up data. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Hey, one quick thing before we dive into the interview. If you have a guest that you think would be fantastic for the audience of this show, definitely drop me a line. There's a contact us form on the RelentlessHealthValue.com website. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Eric. Thank you, Stacey. A pleasure to be here this morning. Let's just dive right in here because I want to make sure that we have ample time to discuss data. When you first started Diameter, your startup, what was your intention at the very beginning? What, What did you think you would be doing? My co-founder, John DeMore, and I both come out of health systems. It's funny, you know, we, we actually started out in this incredibly fragmented and highly competitive space around analytics engines. And while we're really excited about that and the outputs and the values those derive, we're really, as a company, you know, always asking ourselves, you know, what problems can we solve and what problems should we solve that are truly unique what we've learned from listening to the market and talking to a number of really smart thought leaders and, and people on the front lines is that there's really just a dire need for you know this challenge that I should say there's a dire and almost universal challenge or condition that we've come to refer to as clinical data disorder or CDD, uh, that <laughs> term we, we kind of call internally. And, and you know we see organizations such as health information exchanges, accountable care organizations, health systems, and also health plans are just swimming in so much data, but so much of it from our perspective and what we've heard is unusable. And so our mission as a company and our primary focus is how do we help make big data usable and turn that raw data into a strategic asset? You've taken three steps back in the timeline from let's analyze the data to let's look at the data itself and make sure that it's ready, willing, and able to be used in analytics. That's exactly right. Who do you think are the most impressive analytic vendors these days? There's so many, and I always worry if I, I say some names, I'm going to leave out others. But clearly, they're, they're the big players of the health catalyst. Um, we're really impressed with Acadia, just a whole host of other vendors out there that are doing really impressive works and beautiful user interfaces. You had sent me one of your PowerPoint presentations, and there's a slide in there that gives some verbatims from people <laughs> mm-hmm. in the uh, healthcare space. And, you know, here's, here's a couple of the quotes. 
One of them was a 70-page CCDA is probably 68 pages too long for a physician to read. And then somebody else said, our biggest challenge is badly behaving data. That was a health information exchange, HIE CEO. That was awesome. And then somebody from another one of the health system said, if I get seven CCDs for my HIE, I look at zero of them, which is, huh, that's the before, I guess. Yes. Reminds me of the, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. You know, the ancient mariner said, water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. And I think that's what anyone living in the healthcare IT world can absolutely relate to this. And the challenges of turning messy, incomplete, and disparate data into truly information, knowledge, and ultimately wisdom. But we at the same time recognize how hard this is because, as we all know, healthcare data is inherently incredibly complex and medicine truly is big data. You know, for example, there, there are over 70,000 different LUNC codes for labs and imaging. There are over 140 different ICD codes for diagnoses and procedures. There are over 300,000 SNOMED codes and concepts for problems. And there are over a million different RX norm codes for medications. So when you add these all up, collectively, this can result in over 10 million different semantic relationships spread across multiple vocabularies, multiple ontologies, and at the same time, these IT systems that capture and share this clinical information are still evolving. When you say 700 lab codes and ICD-9s and RX norm codes, is the issue there that people can't keep track of them so they're clicking on the wrong stuff? Or is it that they are not regularized across systems? So I might use one RX code and it's going to mean something else if, in somebody else's. So if we're talking to each other, I think I'm typing one thing and you're receiving something else. Well, I think, again, precision is wonderful, but for some of the analytics that we support in providing this unified clinical view of the patient, for example, we could take a, a drug like atorvastatin, which could also be listed as Lipitor or in the free, free text. And so what we do is we look at the many different ways by which that particular drug or medication can be documented across multiple EHRs by multiple providers. And we can effectively normalize it down to a, a single class atorvastatin, a single code that becomes useful to support our analytics. So what does it matter if I, I say tomato and you say tomato, you know, like I say Lipitor and you say atorvastatin? Like, what is the problem with that? Well, I think things get lost in translation and sometimes the units themselves can be entered in different manners. For example, you might see a primary care physician who enters your weight in kilograms and another care provider in another environment might enter it in pounds. And so if you don't have seemingly simple surveillance tools looking at things like that, you could have a very, very different and would have a very, very different BMI calculation as a simple example. You know, there are over 91 different ways by which congestive heart failure can be documented. And at the end of the day, people want to know if you have CHF, can you identify that across all these different environments, whether it was documented in a structured field entry or just written in the free text. And just to give further sense of scale why this is so challenging and so important, you know, today there are over 4 million different clinicians here in the U.S. that are documenting care in over 100 different meaningful use certified electronic health records. So there really is a need to really leverage this interoperability, which we've heard a lot about, and to bring it up a level to what we really refer to as semantic interoperability and can give examples, you know, why this is not just a useful thing, but frankly, a patient safety issue as well. Say someone types out in the free text, heart failure, 
And then somebody else writes CHF and somebody else in their system, there's a pick list or something and they pick it as a diagnosis. Obviously, I'm inferring that there's connections to how are you going to track outcomes, for example, or how are you going to track clinical effectiveness if you're not exactly sure what the exact diagnosis was at the beginning. But maybe you can articulate a little bit more in some sort of sequence of events what transpires there that's bad. Sure. And again, I think so much of it comes from the fragmentation in healthcare and and, and a lot of the processes and workflows. So let's look at a population that's large and growing here in the country. We could look at um, the Medicare patient population, and roughly 40% of Medicare patients have seven or more different chronic conditions. So a single patient with multiple problems. In addition, on average, these patients see a median of 11 different physicians across five different practices over the course of a year. And even when we look at the EHR vendors as well, even if we take the top 20 EHR vendors, including the big players like Epic and Cerner, they collectively only comprise 70% of what's, as I mentioned before, still a fairly fragmented market. And so when we look at these high-cost patients that see multiple providers over the course of a year, their data is often spread, particularly in the ambulatory world, which we sometimes refer to as the Wild West, Mm -hmm. across different EHRs with different ways in which that data may have been documented or codified. And really the need we see is the ability to unify, to deduplicate where appropriate to enrich it, and to provide a common single data set with what we call clinical concepts that give a unified view whether you had eight different ways in which CHF was documented. We show that as CHF and give that its common class. And this really is what is needed to support care transitions, pop health, and analytics. Let me ask you this, because this is something that I have pondered about very naively. Is it a question of the data in there is being documented different ways? Or is it a question of the data that's being entered is actually incorrect? And let me give you two examples of that, which I have seen anecdotally. One of them is I I was talking to someone who was in the registry business, and he was talking about somebody was doing something. And if there was a blank field in the input form, they just inserted what somebody decided was a baseline number for lab value or something. Like if if it wasn't available for a particular patient, there was just some kind of default that got stuck in the box. And it wasn't like identified like, oh, by the way, this is a made up number because we didn't want to leave the box empty because it was being it's being used in a calculation. So there's that example. But here's another one. It occurs to me that the lowest paid, least educated, highest turnover employees are the ones that are collecting data in the name of efficiency right now in many healthcare practices. And the patient walks in the door and and there's somebody sitting on a computer who may or may not have much clinical education who's asking questions to a patient that they have no relationship with. So does the patient feel comfortable actually giving correct answers, number one? And then secondly, how competent is this person actually using the EHR system because they got hired last month? So is it a question of, I typed CHF and you type heart failure is a question of I said heart failure and the person typed in heart attack or like something that's not correct. 
Yeah, yeah, great question. And and really gets to the heart of, you know, how important data quality is. And I think it's a little of both to your question. I think oftentimes there certainly and understandably is incomplete data, but other times it's the actual syntax or the mapping of the right code or ontology or vocabulary appropriately. And we've seen a number of real-world examples where this just doesn't jive. And, and in some cases, it's it's I wouldn't say trivial, but not impactful. In other cases, however, it could be frankly toxic. I'll give you an example. We've actually seen a real-world CCD where the medication section would have passed, in fact, the entire CCD would have passed all HL7 schema and schematron tests, but at the same time was in fact a dangerous example of very poor semantic interoperability. Uh, so specifically, we saw a CCD where it would display an RX norm code for penicillin. However, the displayed medication was listed not as penicillin, it was listed as codeine phosphate. And that's really scary because, as I said before, that could be potentially toxic. But why did, that, why did that happen? So that could have been a data entry mapping error. That could have been processes in terms of crosswalking one vocabulary to another. We've seen other situations where an entire region of a population literally had no allergies. And so either that entire region is incredibly healthy or <laughs> it obviously gives insight that there's either a workflow, a data flow, or a process breakdown because you can't have, in all likelihood, hundreds of thousands of people, none of whom have an allergy of any type. And so I think this kind of both retrospective and near real-time surveillance is so critically important. Let me ask you this. So say that we're talking about a patient and somebody entered a mistaken data point for that patient. And let me just tell you, I have personal experience with this because maybe five years ago, somebody decided that my last name was incorrect and they changed my last name. I mean, like talk about ridiculous, right? You should see how long, how many times I go to a physician and they've got the wrong last name. Like it is amazing how data perpetuate. How do you even start? Do you sort of triangulate the data? And if three people enter one thing and somebody else enters something else, you like throw out the outlier? Like, how do you even begin to yeah. think about this? That's a great question. And, and you're so right that oftentimes when bad or messy data makes its way and infects that whole data set, it, it can perpetuate for, for years and, and create downstream challenges. So we actually have built in our own sort of EMPI functionality. We're, we're certainly not looking to compete with the great EMPI solutions that are out there, but we do do some of that. But really the power that we do comes in from our normalization engine we call Fusion. And that actually deploys you know, over 300 different rules by which we can look at relationships. As I mentioned, we use NLP to look at the free text. So we're frankly teasing out information or relationships or derivative insights that may be not evident in either the codified fields or the text fields, free text fields by themselves, but collectively we can gain very high specificity and insights into different conditions, different situations that, again, as I said before, may not have been documented, but were likely treated for, and we have high confidence certainly do exist. You know, just as an example, not to run on here, but let's just say a patient went to a hospital for a total hip replacement. And by virtue of the fact that we can receive that continuity of care document, we're getting their meds, we're getting their labs. And so we see that their, their BMP levels are elevated. And at the same time, we also see that they're receiving um, Lasix. So collectively, those two conditions together are proof positive that the patient also does, in fact, have CHF, congestive heart failure. And so 
you would want to make sure that that was documented because in the in, in the process of documenting care transitions and even revenue capture, that could yield to a higher reimbursement as a comorbidity that may not have been documented. Okay, so I'm imagining, I'm picturing the flowchart in my head, and I'm kind of picturing, I don't know why, this witch's cauldron. And that's where all the disorderly data is being stored in this this kind of cauldron, right? What is in that cauldron, typically, that you guys are presented with, I guess, at the, at the very beginning? Is it EHR collected data? Like, what else is in that? Yeah, great question. So, Again, we try to be very focused on what we do and what we can do, and we don't want to go off and quote unquote boil the ocean. So to date, we've been really going quite deep in our ability to leverage that interoperability standard of the continuity of care document. And for those that may not be familiar with what what's in that, um, there are a number of different sections, uh, actually today over 25, but what we really look at are problems, medications, allergies, procedures, uh, care plan, lab values, vital signs, demographics, social history, things like that. And, and I would say the reason we hooked our wagon to that horse, which is far from perfect, but it is the standard, and there are just tens of millions of these documents flowing around every day. Uh, and because it is a requirement for any meaningful use certified EHR to be able to produce these continuity of care documents, that avoids our need to develop custom interfaces so we can integrate with any certified EHR. There are no custom extracts. It provides rich clinical detail, and perhaps most importantly, at least in the case of inpatients, we're actually with with our current accounts providing insights and analytics while the patients are still in the hospital and not waiting for several weeks, which are often the case with claims-based analytics. Is claims data in the cauldron? Is that something that you're also adding to your mix? That's something we are Moving towards adding, today we're just working with the clinical documents, but clearly once we ingest claims data, which is absolutely part of the roadmap and what we're working towards. Okay, so you've got the continuity of care document, you know, everything that's typically in- included in that. Then Diameter Health on the scene. What are you doing? At the highest level, you've got all this messy data. How are you making that into something which a clinician can trust? So, you know, at the most fundamental level, we take this multi-source clinical data. This fusion tool really does three fundamental things. You know, it can extract and parse it. It can deduplicate and extensively normalize it. And then it can also give a quantitative grade for the document in each of its sections in two dimensions, both a completeness grade and a syntax grade. And where appropriate, uh, we can even enrich it by inference and by looking at the free text, as I described before. Collectively, that asset, that data asset, which we provide in the form of our, our Mongo database, really does four things. It can provide a visibility into a comprehensive longitudinal view of the patient. It can absolutely help identify patients at risk. Uh, it can improve clinical documentation through that inference, as an example I described with the BMP levels being elevated and identifying CHF. And we actually are are pretty excited. We are releasing this week um, uh, a certified quality measure tool. And uh, so to an extent, it can provide quality measures. And the key thing here is that all of this is done in a completely automated, uh, highly accurate, and as I said before, actionable means. So there's really no manual entry that's required by our customers. It's really just leveraging data that's existing in the EHRs uh, in the form of the CCD. 
What do you do? Do you put it back in the CCD, like cleaned up? It's funny you say that. So we actually have something in our new release version 3.0 that we call a super CCD, which is in fact, yes, it could be um, a kind of a super normalized single CCD that gives you that view of that patient for that encounter. And so there are some high interest with some of the folks we're working with to, uh, to use that. Two accounts in particular, we've been working with a great group of really visionary folks out in Kansas that comprise the Kansas Health Information Network. And this is a physician-led HIE that's managed by both the Kansas Medical Society and the Kansas Hospital Association. Uh, today, they have over 900 different members across six different states, uh, and they're actively and efficiently sharing data across that network. And so they identified these challenges we've been discussing uh, in the real world of you know, data exchange, the value of true semantic interoperability, and they're leveraging this fusion tool to surveil and improve the quality to support their population health and analytics. And, and to date, we've processed um, multiple millions of, of clinical documents from over 40 different sources, and that represents over 100 different facilities. And that's really allowed KHIN to transform their member data into actionable analytics. Just to clarify, the Fusion tool is Diameter Health's engine. That's your oven. Um, yeah. Okay. And to what end? So we've got an HIE that, I mean, obviously HIEs might be a perfect analog or a perfect case study of what happens when you collect data from different sources, because obviously that's kind of the hub collecting data from different sources. So if anybody's going to have a problem, it's probably going to be an HIE. So what do they have now at the Kansas HIE that they didn't have before? What are physicians getting when they call up an HIE report that previously they were not? The Cahan team is really visionary and led by a woman named Laura McCrary, who's just got a great vision for this, where they've put together a complete turnkey solution. So they're working with other HIE vendors and other technologies, and they've built their own clinical data warehouse. But they've actually enabled um, something that allows all their members to go into a single portal-like environment and get visibility across the system as opposed to having to go into multiple different portals. And with the use and the partnership we have with the Diameter Health Fusion Engine, they're able to provide much richer visibility just to the clinical documents. They're obviously capturing claims data and other uh, relevant information, but our focus is providing their clinical data warehouse, which they actually go out and resell to other states throughout the country. This turnkey solution diameter is providing the value in terms of the, the CCD data itself. Previously, you'd go in and it would say list of diagnoses and you'd get 70 and 65 of them are duplicates of one another just set in different ways or something. So now what happens is, is you're a, a clinician, you're trying to, you got seven minutes to try to figure out what to do with this patient. It's just not a reasonable expectation to ask someone to, as that one quote that you had in your deck, like look through 70 pages of information looking for the relevant parts of it. So because you're able to combine data points into one, you know, instead of someone looking through 70 pages, they're looking through two. Exactly right. We really endeavor uh, hard as a company to provide a single screen that provides a single normalized view of each of the sections from that normalized sets of, of CCDs for that patient, for that encounter. And then we can lay that on a horizontal timeline to show all the activities, whether they be inpatient, uh, outpatient, ambulatory, even ER visits. By capturing the CCDs from those different environments, we can provide a very intuitive view where you can go from three clicks to a, from a population 
down to an individual lab value of any given patient. But I wanted to make one other point because you brought up something that made me think of, you know, HIEs in general. And we, we certainly see HIEs as key partners of providing a, a useful service. And, and again, I know that the, the business model has been challenged and may continue to be, but there is real value there. But to a large extent, we look at HIEs across the spectrum on one end being really just the post office. They deliver the mail. All they do are the pipes that deliver documents from one place to another. And on the other end of the spectrum, and I think the more valuable part of the spectrum, is I would make the analogy, uh, using the post office analogy, extending that to, to Google and to Gmail. So when we get Gmail, not only are we getting our email delivered, but people may or may not realize this, but when they sign their agree to the Google license, part of what Google does and can do is actually examine each of those documents to figure out, well, John Smith might like to buy L.L. Bean boots and Susie likes to buy skis or whatnot. And so there's actually analytics going on in each of those documents at that other end by, by Google Mail. And is this the enriched part of your operation that you had mentioned earlier? Yeah. So enrich is one piece of it, but I think the greatest value is in the normalization. And that's really to the quote you referenced earlier, taking you know the seven CCDs, and, and I'm not going to look at any of them. So we can really normalize the salient dimensions and content of each document, which is unique and consolidated into that one super CCD, if you will, that gives one comprehensive view of what is going on with that patient. And how are preferences being intertwined in, into that? I'm just trying to get the connection between what Google's doing and what you're doing. Well, when you say preferences, and we have a number of different rules I mentioned, and there can be different weights assigned to these rules in terms of the surveillance and, and the quality and the output. But it's really just taking the disparate data and, and normalizing it into a, a single view. And when we're talking about those two pages, are you looking at what my, as a clinician's, preferences are, or is it organization-wide? So we do provide um, a fair amount of configurability in what we do. Like, let's take, for example, if we were looking at a patient for risk, risk of falls or mortality, or, or could be risk of a readmission or a forecasted readmission, we can provide their risk score on a scale of zero to 100. We provide specific care recommendations based on the attributes we've derived from that normalized view of the clinical content. And then we can embed or configure the critical pathways or the care plans that are particular to an organization. But the real value is, and I'm not trying to make this an infomercial of what we do, but along the sidebar, we have each of those sections from that CCD. So if I want to see, well, what meds were they on or what problems did they have or what allergies do they have? You can simply click on one or all of those sections and you're given a little tile that has all that normalized view in a single view on that page. You can drill down further if you wanted to get more information, or you can come up a level and say, well, what was going on with this patient over the past year and all the different places they've been to and have this longitudinal view of what that looks like, each with the ability to drill down into those particular encounters as well. And is this all integrated within the EHR? So basically, EHR just got a brand new look, or is it a click and a separate interface? Right. Great question. So we know coming out of healthcare that, you know, nobody wants to alt tab, nobody wants a different screen to have to drill in and out of. So from the very beginning, we've designed our system to take advantage of APIs and web services so that this can be exposed within the workflow of an existing EHR 
uh, as say another tab within that environment. Got it. It's all web based and yeah. And if someone's interested in in more information about what you're doing and working on, where could they go, Eric? We have a lot of good content and white papers that you can pull down from our website, which is just diameterhealth.com. And certainly I'm happy to provide any follow-up information uh, as well. Why diameter? What, what does that name have to do with data? You know, our tagline is we like to think of what we call 360-degree clinical intelligence. So diameter, you know, looking across the continuum. And we just like the name. And I guess we're both math geeks when we were kids. So. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Eric. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's been great. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.